Welcome. Uh, we have some handouts going out. Uh, it's nothing too detailed, but if you want to have something to follow along with. But also, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 16. And we're just going to use that as a template for us today and look at five aspects of masculinity. I want to start us off with a commercial that maybe some of you have seen recently. Let's watch this commercial together as we get uh, going. Bullying. The Me Too movement against oh, sexual harassment. The video. Is this the best? Hold on. Maybe. No? If not, it's okay. Oh. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big. Y'all men. And small. I am strong. I am strong. But some is not enough. It's not how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. So I was actually surprised when this commercial came out of the, uh, how much it stirred up. And some people really loved it, some people hated it or said we were missing it. I just want to make three observations. One, it's interesting that the world recognizes something's wrong with manhood, with masculinity. Two, I love that they got it right, that the boys, the next generation, are watching us. But number three, I, I want to make sure that I recognize this is the church's job to be modeling what God's called us to be. It's not the world's job, because the world's going to get it wrong. The best in me is actually pretty wicked, right? So i got to remember that. But I just think it's a helpful conversation starter. So the reason... I wanted to show that it's because we're going to talk about at least, just, let me just give you five things today that God calls us to be as men. There's a whole lot more, but there's a really, really great outline for us in 1 Corinthians 16. But let me start with a reminder from Isaiah 66, the type of heart that God is looking for. God says, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Our attitude as men has got to be humble, broken before God. That's the kind of people that he uses. The Bible promises more grace to men who are humble. And then my attitude towards God's word is, I have the very words of God. I am getting under the authority of God's word. It is my blueprint. It is my compass. It is my map. That's the kind of man that God is looking for. That's the kind of man that God can use. And what we're going to see today is what I call dependent responsibilities. what Jerry Bridges coined that phrase. 
that I am fully dependent on the Lord. God wants my dependence, not my performance. I'm fully dependent on the Lord, but then I am fully responsible before the Lord to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness, to discipline myself, all the while remembering that it is God who works in you to will and to work, right? It's this, it's this working together thing. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to look at five qualities that are talked about in 1 Corinthians 16, and under each one of them, I'm just going to give you three points, give you a moment to think about or make an application, and then move on. So it's going to be really simple, pretty straightforward today, right? So let's start with the verse. 1 Corinthians 16 starts off with actually some military terms that Paul chooses to use for us as men. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. That's actually one Greek word, and Dridzimai, it only shows up one place in the whole Bible, and it's right here. Act like men. Be strong. So right away, that sounded pretty macho, pretty manly, right? But then the next verse reminds us, let all that you do be done in love. All of that being strong, manly thing has got to be surrounded in love. Otherwise, my masculinity becomes abrasive or harsh or or too overbearing when I need to be loving. And we'll talk about what that means. So we're going to look at these five things, three applications from each one, and we will be, we'll be done. So the first one, be watchful. The, the word that's used there can mean awake, vigilant, discerning, alert, sober, not lazy. The opposite quality, I would say, is being passive. And I see this so many times, just really nice guys, nice men that are just passive, that they're not taking initiative. And so when I, when I say passivity, I think all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Eve was tempted, and then it says, and she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her. And I go, well, wait, what, what do you mean? Adam, you were, you were there? Like you were, you were with her right there? Did you see your wife getting tempted? Did you step up and defend her? Did you, for sure what we know is he just passively went along with her, and, and God is the one who, yeah, and he blamed her, right? And then God is the one who then comes along looking for Adam, not Eve. I want to talk to Adam, okay? So I want to make sure that I'm being watchful, recognizing that I'm in a war. These are the three points underneath here, three reminders. You are in a war, your enemy is relentless, and you must be vigilant. So the first one, you're in a war. A number of years ago, uh, I don't know if you can tell, that's a copperhead with a, a rock that I lovingly placed on top of its head. Um, my family was camping out in Arkansas, and there were signs that warned us there were snakes, like copperheads and things like that. One of my sons discovered the first one right near the public restrooms there across his path. But we found a plush campsite. It was awesome until we found a copperhead, which we disposed of. And then we moved our tent, one of our tents, over to a little more out in the open area. About 15, 20 minutes later, we found a second copperhead, even bigger. I think that was that one that we disposed of. And we moved our other tent. And all of a sudden, I want to make sure that you understand why I'm telling you this. I got watchful. I got sober-minded. I got alert. It was like, oh my goodness. The sign is right. They're all around us. Like going to bed, you know, I'm zipping my tent up. I'm like, okay, they can't unzip. I'm like, like going... This is crazy. Like, they really are all around us, and they're dangerous, and I've got a family to think of. So you get sober-minded when those things... i got to remember that I am in a war, and there's all of these verses about sober-mindedness. You think about 9-11, when we realized the second plane hit the tower, we realized, oh my goodness, that wasn't an accident. We're under attack, and we all got sober-minded real quick, right? So here's all these verses. As for you, always be sober-minded, 
Older men are to be sober-minded, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. And one other verse I can't see that says that from 1 Peter 5. That your enemy, the devil, be sober-minded and watchful. He's prowling around looking for someone to devour. You're under attack. Satan knows my number. He knows what has caused my, my granddad and my dad and me to stumble. That, that he knows what buttons to push. But I've also got a very real enemy that I carry with me called my flesh, my sin nature, that wants to do these things. Satan can, can't make me do these things. So I've got to be watchful for every time the world is trying to lure me into this stuff that I want to do. So the second thing I've got to remember is my, my enemy is relentless. In the, the, the Luke account of Jesus being tempted, there's the three major temptations we think of, but then it says, and Satan left him until a more opportune time. So that, was, that wasn't the only time Jesus was tempted. Satan was waiting for an opportunity. He is very patient with you guys. He'd be happy to wait until I'm 50 years old, 60 years old to ruin my marriage. Then it's even a bigger ripple effect. He, he's very patient. So I've always got to remember that I have a relentless enemy. And then the last one that I said there, you've just got to be relentless. I mean, sorry, vigilant. That I've got to know this threat. I've got to know where my weaknesses are, know when I need to stand, when I need to flee, and then order my life accordingly to this battle that's going on. Um, There's a great quote that I'm not going to read because of time. So do you have a wartime mentality? This doesn't look like a wartime mentality, does it? But think about this wartime mentality. What was going on in the minds of these guys? The doors are about to drop down. This is getting very real now. No more training exercises. This is life and death. And I've got to wake up and realize, guys, of all the times in America's history where they need, the world, our country, our families, our churches need us as men to be sober-minded, it's now to wake up and just go, there is a terrible lie. There's awful philosophies about family and gender and right and wrong and sexuality. And my job is to train my kids and to, and to, to lead them by example and with my mouth. But we have got to be sober-minded and step up. And it's, it's probably not going to get better. Okay? As far as us, we've, we've had really a very amazingly short but privileged time in church history where we're not persecuted openly for our faith. But that's slowly dwindling away, or actually quickly now. You just got to be ready for that. Are you sober-minded, recognizing like, okay, this is, this, is, this is war, okay? So that's the reminder there about having a wartime mentality. I don't know if you remember this uh, far side from a long time ago. If you can't read what it says, that one deer says to the other, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. It's like, it's really a bummer. You got a bullseye on you. But I've got to remember, because I'm a man, Satan hates my role. Satan hates me because I'm a Christian man, because I'm a, my bullseye gets bigger and bigger. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm in whatever it is. You all have a bullseye. We have a bullseye on our back and Satan wants to take us out. And what, what I want to remind all of us, especially those of us who are older, a lot of men in scripture failed in the second half of their life. Okay. Noah getting drunk or Abraham trying stuff with Hagar or David and Bathsheba, Solomon, like it was later in their life. So it's not like I've, I'm done with the young youth stupid stuff. It's like Satan's patient, okay? So I've got to have this idea. Are you ready to fight? Because some of us look like this spiritually, <laughs> okay? This isn't little kid stuff. But I do want to remind you that we're supposed to lock arms with each other. That the, 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 the Roman soldier's shield was like a small door that he could get behind. But the way they wielded these things was half of it was for me, half of it was for my 
my co-laborer, my, my partner here. And they would do these formations where as one group were protected. And so that's why Paul says to Timothy, listen, yeah, flee the evil desires of youth, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You're not supposed to be all alone in this. That's why things like this are so crucial, not just that we're here this weekend, but that you're here with other men, and then you go back and do something about it, okay? So first one, be watchful. Second thing that's mentioned, uh, stand firm in the faith. My three points here are for us to remind, uh, reminder of this. Know what you believe, know why you believe, and know where you draw the line. And this is kind of the way I think of it for us. It's time for some of you to take the training wheels off. For you to decide, okay, I'm going to, what I challenged some young people with uh, earlier this year, their graduation, OYOG. Own your own growth, OYOG. You've got to own your own growth. You've got to decide, I'm not dependent on the pastor's sermon every week where I'm like starving all during the week and then I show up and I'm like, please feed me something. I'm spending time in God's word. I'm studying God's word. And then I show up ready to serve on full on Sunday. But you've got to decide, I'm going to stand firm in the faith. I know what I believe. I know where I'm going to draw the line and, 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 and what, what it is that we're really going to take a stand for. Not peripheral stuff, but what are the non-essentials? Again, Paul tells Timothy, guard this good deposit. You need to make sure you watch out for sound doctrine. You've got to know the essentials of the faith. Take them seriously. Live them faithfully. Express them verbally. Do you know what it is that you can actually say that's an essential thing of the faith? Uh, that's a quote from A.W. Tozer for the sake of time. I'll just tell you it's a great quote, but here's the big part in the beginning. Our fathers looked well to the root of the tree and were willing to wait with patience for the, tr- for the fruit to appear. Let me just end with that. In our little Twitter world, our little soundbite sound world, we're so impatient for answers. I just, just tell me, just give me the, tell me, rather than taking time to meditate, to spend time to the, for the roots to go down, that takes time. When the Bible says study to show yourself approved, study implies some effort. There's no other area in your life where you can ever grow by accident. It's just going to happen. Study to show yourself approved. A workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, who rightly, correctly handles the word of truth. Rightly implies it can be wrongly handled. So i got to be careful there. I'm, I'm reading God's word in context. Remembering a verse can never mean what a verse never meant. It's, I've got to study it, meditate on it, and know what it is that I'm studying. Here's a great reminder for us as men. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong. There's that phrase we're going to get to. And the word of God lives in you and you might one day hopefully possibly overcome the evil one. It's not what it says. It's a position, a reminder. You have overcome the evil one. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. God's given you everything you need for life and godliness. He's given you the sword of the Spirit that we're supposed to take up and wield. And this is what we've got to do. We've got to stand firm and know what we believe, why we believe it, and where we draw the line. Letting God's word be our our compass, right? So what are some of the essentials of the faith? When I was a youth pastor, there was some discouraging times when I would talk to parents who would say, "I, I just don't think my kids believe what I believe. And I'd say, well, have you ever... Ask them what they believe? Well, no, I mean, I just assumed because we went to the, oh, have you ever told them what you believed? Well, no, I just assumed that because, like, these are conversations. You need to make sure your kids know this is what we believe. This is where we draw the line, okay? So, final challenge. How well would you listen if you were going skydiving, but you had to pack your own chute? 
okay? Would you be like, yeah, just stuff it in here. I'm sure that's all you got, right? I mean, that would be, I've, I've gone skydiving one time, and I did not pack my own chute. I did not want to. I just, I mean, but if I had to pack my own chute, do you think I would be sober-minded? Do you think I would be listening? I wouldn't be like, hey, selfie, like, hey, what's going on? I'd be like, uh, question, another question, can you come? I mean, I would be taking it seriously because I realize something big depends on what I'm doing right now. Do I have this attitude when I approach God's word, when I'm about to hear the very words of God, sit down in a sermon like I've got to listen with the intent to obey and apply what I'm hearing? God is about to speak. Do you remind your kids that if you read your Bible as a family to say, hey, listen, listen, guys. God's about to speak. Are you ready? Let's listen. I have very words of God. So I want to make sure that I am taking it very seriously. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Next quality. And by the way, the opposite of standing firm in the faith is apathy. I didn't mention the opposite of that one. The first opposite was passivity, but the opposite of standing firm is I'm just apathetic about stuff. Biblically illiterate, spiritually anorexic or bulimic. We binge and then purge. Like, I've, man, I'm in, I went to men's conference. It was awesome. And then never apply it. Like, I want to make sure that I'm not being apathetic about what God says truly matters. Next one. Act like men. There are so many definitions of what people think it means to be a man. I would say the opposite of the biblical definition of manhood is just being a phony. That it's this macho man, being tough, never showing emotions. Um... And again, the wrong definition that it's all about physical strength or how much money you make or how far you can hit a softball in a game that has no eternal value. Right? All these things that we think of really matter. And so my idea of masculinity is this God-ordained primary responsibility that God's given to me, not that my wife doesn't do some of these things, to humbly imitate Christ's love and his leadership, to wisely demonstrate strength and security to my family, to those around me, and then to... This is a big one. Boldly initiate. Boldly initiate protection and provision for whoever's in my circle of influence. And that just means, I mean, if you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, it means anybody God brings along your path. That's who you're supposed to influence. Not just your wife and your family. Anybody. Okay? But this is what God has called me to do. You mean to repeat it? Okay. I know. It's okay. The God-ordained primary responsibility. I'm saying God-ordained because... This is the way God designed it. It's not because I'm more mature or spiritual than my wife. That's not why. This is just the way God made it. God ordained primary responsibility, because there's other things that my wife will model some of these things, to humbly imitate Christ's love and leadership. Humility is such a big deal. When our summer staffers at Pine Cove ask me, what do I look for in a guy? There's a lot of great qualities, but one of the big ones I tell them is humility. Because, and so I tell them, so... Go watch how he plays a sport. That'll tell you some things about humility. But uh, uh, the Bible says a whole lot. We already saw one verse about it. But a, a humble man is broken over his sin. He's going to lead out of that humility. He's not going to lord it over you. He's going to be teachable. God's going to give him more grace. That's a great promise. Okay. So to humbly imitate Christ's love and leadership, to wisely demonstrate strength and, strength and security. I'm modeling this. Wisely, wisdom's coming from God's word. The strength that God has given us as men, the influence that we have. A lot of times we forget the power of our words alone. The security that, that, that us being firm in our faith gives. And then finally to boldly initiate protection and provision. Not just physical protection. That's great. That's important for us to be men who protect women and children and things like that. But spiritually protecting our, 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 our homes. 
spiritually praying for our family, for praying for the lost, those kinds of things. And yeah, so that's kind of the way I, I would define it. It's not the world's idea of what it means to be manly men. I look at like this guy, he says, barbed wire? You mean dental floss, right? That's not what we mean when we say act like men. I love this, though. At the end of David's life, he said to his son Solomon, be strong and show yourself a man. Do the things that men do. It's not just have a bunch of stuff up here. It's act. Be men of action. Act like men. Uh, It's just phony. Phony men. That I'm looking like I'm tough and strong and devoted and stuff, but it's all a sham. Okay? It's the, the word hypocrite in the New Testament means literally play acting. I'm faking it. Because we can all fake each other out, but I can't fake a genuine walk with Jesus. Okay? But this is what a lot of men suffer from, what I would call misplaced competitive disorder. That we are competitive in our recreation and our occupation, but not the things that God calls us to fight for. The great, big, spiritual war going on for the souls of men and the kingdom of God and His glory... That's what God's called us to, and we're wasting our time and all this other stuff that doesn't really matter, okay? And when people say guys can't sh- share their emotions, I'm like, ah, uh, I think I disagree. We get passionate about what we already get excited about. Like, we have no problem sharing our emotions when it's something we believe in, when it's something we're excited for. This is what I was sharing in our, our, our Devo this morning, if you were there, that God has wired us that we naturally share and talk about what we're passionate about. That's what social media is all about. Did you see that picture? I want to show you that picture that I saw. We talk, did you see that movie? Have you read that book? We, whatever we're excited about, we get passionate. We tell people and we're, we have no problem sharing our emotions when it's something we really care about. So that's part of the problem is our kids see us get all fired up in front of the game and then when it comes to worship or home stuff or whatever, we're, we're, we're not passionate about those things. And we communicate what we really value by what we praise, what we pay for, and what we plan for. Like, my kids, I can't fool them. When they listen to what I really get excited about and what I praise, or what I'm willing to pay for, or what I, I, I plan in my schedule, that's what shows what my real priorities are. So, act like men. Let me just end. The, the three points underneath here I'll tell you is identity, integrity, and bravery. Identity, integrity, and bravery. That There is... This is an important thing to remember. There's only one place in the whole New Testament where you and I are addressed as Christians. 1 Peter 4. There's two other places in Acts where the word Christian is used. But as far as us being addressed as believers in like a letter, an epistle, that's only one place. Paul never uses the word Christian. But over a hundred times he uses some form of this. You are in Christ. This is your identity. So he tries to use these pictures. You've been, okay, buried in him. Think about being buried, completely covered. You're baptized in him. You're sealed in him. You're clothed in him. Everything about who you are is all because of what Jesus did. It's not my performance. Isn't that good news? Don't fall for what I call the the Batman performance trap. If you saw the Batman Begins, at the end, he kind of reveals to Rachel who he really is, and he says, it's not who I am underneath but what I do that defines me. You guys like that? Is that pretty good? <clears throat> Thank you. Rachel. Okay, anyways. That's supposed to be this really like, oh, wow, cool moment from Bruce Wayne. Guys, that is a snare that you do not want to fall into. Wait, it's what I do that defines me? Okay, I'm in trouble. Because some days, maybe I do pretty good. 
A lot of days, not so good. If what I do that is what defines me as a man, I am all over the map. I am up and down. I'm, I'm waiting for this verdict. This is why Paul said, oh, great. Okay, good. This is why Paul said, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. I am not on trial for what you think about me. But then he says this, indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. I, I could have, I've got blind spots just because I feel great about myself. It's the Lord that judges me. It's what God says about me. So I'm not on trial every day waiting for your verdict. Do you think I'm a man? Do you think I did enough? Like Batman is saying, what I do defines me. That's dangerous. It's what Jesus accomplished for me that I am totally covered in. Because I am hopeless without it. That's my only hope. Okay? It's not what I do that defines me. It's what Jesus has already done. And then by his grace, I'm dependently responsible to grow, but it's him moving in me anyways. Either way, I'm fully dependent. Next one, be strong. So those three points, identity, integrity, and bravery. Let me just mention the uh, integrity thing real quick. Um, This is where, God willing, my audio and my video line up. That, that who I really am on my own is, is, is who you see publicly. That my, my, what I say and what I, what I do lines up. My beliefs and my behavior, not perfect, but a pattern. I'm being a man of integrity. It means, that word means whole. If you're into math, you guys know an integer is a whole number, same root word for integrity. It means my life isn't in all of these little compartments. That it's one big thing of who you see I am. I'm not one way in church, one way with my family, one way in private. I'm, I am that person. And then just being brave, being a man of courage and conviction um, is that one. Okay, next. Being strong. Something that I, I, I laugh at. I think the opposite of this kind of biblical strength is timidity. So being timid when I should speak up, when I should be bold, which is just a willingness to offend people. Truth is going to offend people. That's what being bold means. It's nothing personal that this might offend you, but I'm standing by it. Whether it's the definition of marriage or God's plan for this is why Jesus is the only, whatever it is, this is, this is the truth. But it, it pains me sometimes that uh, as I look at what my kids learn in Sunday school and even like Bible action hero figures, that Samson is one of the ones that they study as if Samson was someone we should ever look to. The strongest man ever was ultimately, when it came to what really mattered, the weakest man in the world. He was, he was always walking by sight. He saw a girl. He saw, he saw, which is interesting because he lost his eyes. He was totally led by his lust. That's the woman. Give her to me. I want her. Everything. He was willing to overlook crazy stuff like, hello, this lady's trying to get you killed. Figure out your, didn't care, led by his lust. And then he lived for one agenda only, and it was himself. All of, if you read it, you guys, his life, every feat of strength that he did was a personal vendetta. It was, it was his own vengeance. Even in the very end, when he seemed repentant, he said, Lord, let me do this to pay these people back for the loss of my eyes. He lived for one person's agenda and one person alone. Samson was not strong. He's the opposite of what we want. Three things I'm going to remind you of in this area. Be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Word, and be strong in prayer. The reason I say that be strong is so important. The opposite of this would be I'm spineless. I don't want to be heartless, but I've got to find that balance there of compassion without compromise. I'm strong in my convictions. I'm strong in the Lord. In Ephesians 6, where it talks about the armor of God that you already have, 
It says, therefore, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. A quick reminder there that I'm, all of this is from the Lord. I have nothing. Jesus said in Luke 6, the flesh counts for nothing. John 6, sorry, John 6, the flesh counts for nothing. So I want to be strong in the Lord. That means I've got to die to myself and allow, be empty of myself and full of him. He's the one. It's the power of his might. Be strong in the word. Guys, we as men, first of all, I want to have a, a white-hot devotional life. Like, I'm ransacking my Bible. But let me just tell you this, and I'm not saying to do this to, 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 to show off for people, but what people should see in us, what my family should see in me, is this, this ravenous desire to devour as much as I can of this. That in church, during a sermon, the men should be the ones taking notes, following along. As much as I can track with the sermon, you guys, when it's over, I probably can't hardly remember any good points. Maybe a couple. But do, does my family see, like, I am studying to show myself approved. I am spending time in God's Word. My wife knows it. My kids know it. They're watching me. And I want to make sure that I'm strong in the Word. And then the last one, they're being strong in prayer. That I, anytime I've ever met a godly, older, wiser man that I want to become like, all I can recognize most of the time is, man, he's a man of the word. He's a man of prayer. Those two big things. That doesn't just happen by accident. It takes training. It takes discipline. Spirit-empowered discipline. Okay? But I am recognizing, man, I, have, I want to be a man of prayer that when I tell someone I want to pray for you, I mean it. That I have a devotional life that is, that, that's real. So being strong in that way. And You've got this reminder whenever you're on a plane, right? Hey, if you're traveling with a kid, put on your oxygen mask first, which almost sounds like mean or selfish. Like, what about women and children first, right? But they recognize before you can help anybody else, if you're not breathing, you're useless, right? So be, I can't take my family any further than I've been. I, I can't lead people to places I, I, I've never been. And by the way, leading your family is just encouraging faith in their hearts. That's all it means. Whatever it looks like for me to encourage faith in the heart of my wife, I'm leading her. Whatever it looks like to encourage faith in the heart of my kids, I'm leading them. The reason I mention that thing about social media, the way God has wired us, is whatever I'm excited about, I want to talk about. It's what Jesus said, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Then when dads ask me, I don't know what to do for Jesus, I don't know what to tell them. Well, what did you read this morning? What is God teaching you? There is so much power, you guys, in the phrase with your kids. Can I tell you what, what I, I read this morning? Can I tell you what I learned this morning that I didn't know? Can I show you? They see, okay, dad's excited. Because I think they suspect I haven't arrived. I know I haven't arrived. Why do I want to act like I've arrived? And like, well, I was reminded in the sermon. Like, no, you learned something. Like, admit it. Like, grow. I want my kids to see that I am, I, I'm, I'm trying to do this Bible intake thing and grow as much as I can but I can't lead them if I'm not breathing spiritually, right? So here's a great reminder, though, about courage when it comes to being strong. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important. It, it doesn't mean that I never feel afraid or, or, or have these emotions. It just means I recognize that something's more important here. There's a bigger game in town. There's people's souls at stake. There's somebody's marriage under attack. Whatever it is, I need to speak the truth in love. So I'm speaking... Speaking the truth, but I'm doing it in love. So there's the balance right there we've got to keep. Not heartless, not spineless. 
But I've just got to recognize something bigger is at stake here. They need to hear about Jesus. They might not like me. They might be mad at me, but it's a recognition that something else is more important. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. My fear is in the Lord alone, not what other people think of me. And then I delight in his commandments. And putting down roots, you guys, it takes a long time. Again, like I said, in this Twitter culture we live in, this soundbite culture, we just want spiritual growth like microwaved. And it takes time meditating on God's word. That's the famous passage in Psalm 1, that you're not listening to the counsel of the world, you're thinking differently from the world, but I'm delighting in God's word. I'm meditating on it. Meditation is more than just reading, right? If I, if I had a hot cup of water and I have a tea bag and I go like this and take it out, do I have tea now? Gross, right? It's got to soak. It's got to take time to, to seep in there. The longer it's in there, the better the tea is going to be, right? And a lot of us wonder why I feel so shallow or whatever. What's well, like you're just doing that with your time in God's Word. You're not meditating on it, not memorizing it. We memorize whatever we want to memorize, right? Songs, movie quotes, all this stuff, stats, business stocks, all this stuff. So you, you actually have the mental capacity to memorize a whole lot. But we memorize what we want to memorize. Okay? Good reminder. So hopefully your Bible doesn't look like this. <laughs> right? But here's, there's a great book called Spiritual Disciplines by a guy named Donald Whitney. And he says this, A deep, insatiable hunger for the Bible is a gift from God, but we are the ones who must turn the pages and read the words. It's that dependent responsibility. I'm praying for a deep, insatiable hunger for the Word of God. God, please put that in me. But I've still got to set the alarm and get up in the morning and study something. I've still got to engage my mind. Okay? Last one. Do everything in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Some of you know in the, in the New Testament there's different words for love that could be used, but there's the agape love that's unconditional love that God shows to us. Well, guess what, guys? That's what the command is right here. Let all that you do, do be done in agape love. Agape is a really important word. Uh, oh, sorry. Here's my reminder. that The reason I love that is it's this balance now of all those manly things, all of it, though, is done in love. So I've got strength and humility, tenacity and tenderness. I'm a tender warrior. I don't abuse or abdicate my role. I'm not heartless. I'm not spineless, all those things. But here is the reminder of agape is unconditional love that always gives, devotes total commitment to seek the best for others, no matter their response, completely selfless and unchanging, whether the love is given in return or not. And let me just tell you this. I don't have that kind of love. Chris Sherrod will have strings attached. I will love to get something. I will sacrifice if, it, if the payoff is right. I, will, I am selfish. So what this means is I'm remembering that this is only going to be a fruit of the Spirit. That kind of love that God loved me with, I can't do it on my own. So again, I'm back to dependence, dependent responsibility. But here's the command. Um, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And look what it says. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's the kind of love that he showed us. We do that same love. Here's another reminder. Live a life of love, that's agape, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And a familiar passage for us husbands. Husbands, agape your wives as Christ agape the church and gave himself up for her. So three things I'll tell you about love. Lay down your pride, lay down your rights, lay down your life. Lay down your pride. The opposite of this love, by the way, is angry. That a lot of men, we're just harsh, we're abrasive, we're heartless. 
So I don't want to be heartless or spineless, but I want to make sure that everything I do, it's firm love, it's discipline, speaking the truth, whatever it is, it's all in love, but it's, it's manly love. It's not soppy emotionalism, right? But I'm, I'm speaking the truth in love. So I'm realizing that to do what God calls me to do, I've got to lay down my pride, realize I can't do it, I've got to confess. 1 Peter 5 talks a whole lot about that right before it talks about resisting the devil. Same thing that James 4 does, by the way. I've got to lay down my rights. That's what Jesus did. That though being in very nature God, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, becoming a man made in human likeness. That's very humbling. And then not just that he died, but he died a death on the cross, the most excruciating, embarrassing, humiliating way to die as people watch you slowly dwindle naked up there and suffocate. Jesus humbled himself and set, set that aside in order to love. And, and it says that's the kind of love we're supposed to show our wives, everybody around us. So I lay down my rights. And then the last one, ultimately, is I just, I just lay down my life. My attitude is it's my honor, it's my duty to lay down my life for others. All the while recognizing that as I do that, God is going to give me all the grace I need for every moment. Because a lot of times I want to hold back like, oh man, I'm going to be really tired. I'm coming home and now I've got to like deal with kids or whatever. But like I've got to push on through and realize God's going to strengthen me. God's mercies, his compassions are new how often? Every morning, every day. So the mercies that I need for today are going to be new and they're going to be enough today. What happens is I, be think, I start thinking like, I don't know if I can make it this week. Well, God's not asking you to live this whole week on today's mercies. Today's mercies are for today. Tomorrow you'll have all you need for tomorrow. So don't hold back. Don't withhold. God's going to re- renew your strength. That famous passage which says, they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. The Hebrew word there is literally exchange their strength. It's, it's the same word that's used to change clothes. God is going to renew your strength. It's God's strength that comes in. So I'm not dependent on my own energy, my own joy, my own wisdom, my own. It's him living his life through me. Okay? So those are reminders of us uh, as men. Paul said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. What is my attitude towards my family, towards my marriage, towards people that God brings on my path? I want to be spent for your soul, not just for something frivolous, for your soul. Will I most gladly be spent? Um, we're going to skip to a final uh, few questions. Do you think God wants your dependence or your performance? Quick reminder. He wants your dependence. Okay? It's not, it's not earning anything. Um, are you living a life that only makes sense in light of eternity? Wait, you went to what conference? You spent how much? You're spending what time getting up to read the Bible? How come you're? I don't understand. It only makes sense if there's an afterlife, if there's something bigger than what we can see here. Um, do you have a purpose or a mission statement? Here's why I exist. Have you ever written that out? Um, what's choking out God's word in your life right now if you don't mature? When Jesus gave the parable of the sower, he said, life's worries, riches, and pleasures will choke my word. That it's there, it wants to grow, but you are worried about stuff, whatever's on your mind when you go to bed, first thing when you wake up, like maybe that's distracting you. Life's riches, just making a little more. I don't want to be a billionaire, I just want to make a little more. And life's pleasures, I just want to be comfortable and happy. Like, that'll choke out God's word. Um, who are you fighting alongside? You can't do this alone. You've got to have somebody that you're fighting alongside with. Um, have you lost the illusion that you're in control? I heard a great quote. I think it was Matt Chandler, but he said, a praying man has lost the illusion that he's in control. 
The reason I don't pray more often, you guys, is because I think I got this, because I think I'm in control. What drives me to prayer is when I realize, man, this is out of my control. The truth is, it's always out of my control. So a praying man has lost that illusion that he's in control. Do you, have, uh, do, you, do you see your marriage as a ministry? Lord, turn my heart to the ministry of my wife. I am ministering to this woman. She has insecurities and weaknesses. She has areas of strength, whatever it is, but I'm ministering to her. So I need to pray with my wife, pray for my wife. I need to date my wife. That's a huge one. Rejoice in the wife of, of your youth. Um, then a prayer, turn my heart to the ministry of my children. It's not the church's job, you guys. The church can reinforce that stuff, but it's your ministry. If you have kids, that's what God has called you to. Some of you have heard this before. I say this at my uh, men's Bible study in the summer all the time. I'm going to end with this quote from Chesterton. When I first heard this quote, it made me a little nervous. I was like, or awkward. I was like, what? Don't you mean if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing with excellence, with all your heart? What? And he just says this, listen, if something is really worth it, even if you fumble through it, you did it. If praying for your wife, with your wife, is worth it, and you fumble through your prayer with her, you did it. If it's worth it to have my home be a word environment, I can have, I'm, okay, we're just going to read what the verse says, and then we're going to pray. Like, you did it. And I'm not saying, like, so lower your standard for everything. I'm just saying, if it's worth doing, do it initiating, doing what you're supposed to do, you don't have to do it with perfection, okay? If it's worth doing. So, five qualities. I want to just challenge you with this. Do not walk away from this talk or this weekend thinking like, I've got 50 things I need to change. Pick one thing. I mean, there probably are for all of us, right? Pick one thing and say, Lord, I just want to be stronger in your word. I want to, I want to, Live a life of love more. Whatever it is, Lord, that's what I'm calling, asking you to do in my life, okay? Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for these men and our time together. I pray, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, only by your grace, that you would change us, that you would transform us from the inside out, that you would renew our minds, that you would give us a holy passion for your glory, a hunger for your word, a desire, a compassion for those who are lost, God, I pray that you would use the men in this room, that it wouldn't have to be the world telling us to wake up and be a man that we would model for those coming after us, for the lost. This is what manliness really is. And God, that you would be glorified in all things. And we ask this in the name and the power of Jesus. Amen.